0: Hi! We've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few
1: minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn the criteria for getting approval for a science experiment in space, when the right time is to get your flu shot, and the top 10 relationship deal breakers, according to research.
0: Let's satisfy some curiosity. If you're thinking about conducting a science experiment in space, and who isn't, then we've got some important information for you, as in the three criteria your experiment needs to meet before you can do it. What's your space experiment, Ashley?
1: Oh man, I do like like burpees in space. Why? I, do you like burpees? I don't like burpees, but I feel like they'd be a lot nicer. Easier in space. if there was less gravity. <laughs> yeah. Burpees are literally the worst. They really are. Why would you even bring them up? Someone My- I know calls them throw-uppies. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> they're not.
0: Oh, they're the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's an exercise. Look it up. We're not going to go into that. Oh man, <laughs> that's tough. Well, If you have a better idea than that, (laughs) then you can actually get a science experiment happening in space. And these criteria for getting that experiment up there comes from the Center for the Advancement of Science in Space, or CASIS. Since the NASA Authorization Act of 2010, CASIS has been kind of a gatekeeper to the U.S. National Lab on the International Space Station. Congress wanted to open up research channels to a variety of researchers from the U.S., See at the time, NASA was more interested in space exploration, which makes sense. So Casis works with organizations to focus on using the space station to benefit life on Earth more specifically. CASES now works with NASA, SpaceX, and Orbital ATK on NASA's cargo resupply missions to the ISS. On those missions, half of the payload is reserved for the research, which comes from private companies and a variety of researchers that CASES chooses. Once the goodies get up to the station, half of the crew members' working time is dedicated to those experiments. Pretty important stuff. To get your research aboard these missions and up to the ISS for hardcore sciencing, you need to meet Kaysis' three criteria. First, it must be operationally feasible and safe. In other words, you have to make sure that it's even possible aboard the ISS. Blue whale research? Probably not going to happen just now. Although blue whales in space reminds me of Star Trek IV. That's a phenomenal movie. Anyway. The second condition, it must benefit life on Earth. You have to be able to answer questions about how microgravity can impact whatever it is that you want to send to the station, on top of how it can possibly improve life on Earth. And the third and final criteria, it must have a reasonable return on investment for the American taxpayer. In other words, is the potential result of the research worth the cost of carrying it out? So to recap, the three criteria are it has to be feasible, it has to benefit life on Earth, and it has to have a reasonable cost. But don't be afraid to get creative. At one point, Casis was in talks with Budweiser to figure out how brewing beer in microgravity would work. And we've got you covered if you already have a great idea. There's a link to the proposal submission form in our full write-up on Curiosity.com and on our Curiosity app for Android and iOS. Let us know if they pick your idea.
1: Pharmacies are already plastered with flu shot signs, but it might feel like you just got your shot. Aggressive marketing tactics aside, when are you actually supposed to get your flu shot? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Cody, do you have your flu shot yet? No, do you? I just got mine today, actually. Hmm. Yeah, it was painless. No, it wasn't painless. It hurt a little bit, (laughs) but I was brave. No tears. (laughs) Well done. Easier than getting blood drawn, right? Definitely easier than getting blood drawn. (laughs) For some of us. (laughs) The Center for Disease Control says to get your flu shot by the end of October. I'm good. Simple. Yeah, you totally are. I have plenty of time. Getting vaccinated later can still be beneficial, even into January or later. But October is ideal. The idea here is that flu generally starts to spread as the weather cools down, partially because the influenza virus has a protective coating that needs cold temperatures to stay intact. You want to be protected from the virus before that happens, and it takes about two weeks post-flu shot before your body's built up its protective store of antibodies. Children between six months and eight years old need two doses spaced four weeks apart, so they should start even earlier, basically as soon as that year's vaccine is available. But a study published just last month in Clinical Infectious Diseases says there's evidence that there is such a thing as getting your flu shot too early. The study found that a person's likelihood of contracting influenza increased by about 16% for every month after their vaccination. In this case, the early bird doesn't catch the worm, but it might just catch the flu. Still, if you got your shot early, there's no reason to be alarmed. Other studies show that most people still have a sizable antibody army even after more than nine months. Getting your flu shot is just a good idea, no matter when it happens. Speaking of good ideas, if you're looking for something to listen to after this, have we got the podcast for you. Explore history's surprising connections with a new podcast, The Thread with Ozzy. It's like a cross between revisionist history and six degrees of separation. The Thread unravels the stories behind some of the most important lives and events in history to discover how one thing leads to another. This season, The Thread charts a history of nonviolence, From the decks of a gunship in the Revolutionary War to Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement. Witness how the spread of a powerful idea can hinge on the past and influence the future. Get the thread with Ozzy, that's O-Z-Y, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
0: Sometimes it might feel like literally everyone has articles about relationships and dating advice. I mean, you can find dating tips on Forbes and Business Insider, for crying out loud. (laughs) but we like science here and we like fun. So today, we're going to be one of those people cuz we're going to get into a 2015 study published in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, pretty legit, that shows the relationship deal breakers many people agree on. This is deal breakers. Do you do you have a lot of these? I like I feel like everyone has their little short list.
1: I mean, they can't believe in pseudoscience. It seems silly, but like that's a very core part of me and, you know, My partner needs to have a similar view on the world. You know, for a while, my deal
0: breaker was I wouldn't date a girl that wasn't into video games and I ended up marrying a girl that doesn't care about video games.
1: Hey, yeah, that's the thing about deal breakers. Sometimes they just fall by the wayside if you like the person enough.
0: However, I think that some of these deal breakers are ones that probably most people are not going to change their minds on.
1: Yes. So according to this study, quote, these findings support adaptive attentional biases in human social cognition, unquote. In other words, we evolved to pay attention to some things in our partners above other things. The study identified the top 10 deal-breakers in two categories, long-term relationships and short-term relationships. Do your deal-breakers line up with what this study found?
0: First, here are the deal-breakers for short-term relationships. Making the top 10. Number 10, the person is racist or bigoted. Number 9, the person does not take care of themselves. Number 8, that person is currently dating multiple partners. Number seven, the person is unattractive. Number six, the person's bad in bed. Number five, the person has anger issues or is abusive. Number four, the person's already in a relationship or married. Number three, the person has poor hygiene. Number two, the person smells bad. And number one is the person has health issues such as STDs.
1: And here are the long-term relationship deal breakers. You'll see that there are a lot of overlaps and weirdly some repeats, but I swear this is what the study said. Number 10, they smell bad. Number nine, they have poor hygiene. Number eight, they have anger issues or they're abusive. Number seven, they're inattentive or uncaring. Number six, they have an alcohol or drug problem. Number five, they have health issues such as STDs. Number four, they're already in a relationship or they're married. Number three, they're untrustworthy. Number two, they're currently dating multiple partners. And number one is, again, they have anger issues or they're abusive. Twice. That's yeah. That's
0: emphatic. It's an important one. So yeah, if you're doing these things, then stop doing these things. Otherwise, keep on keeping on. And we hope you find love if you haven't already.
1: Aw. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com.
0: Join us again tomorrow for the Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious.
1: On the Westwood One Podcast Network.